You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. everyone. Uh, It feels good to be up here. I am always humbled at the opportunity to stand before you and talk about a Jesus that I love, so thank you. I'm grateful to be in community with you all here in person and with our virtual community as well. As Pastor Josh said, my name is Kelly Young. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am the preaching boot camp deacon. Um, yes, I was a preaching boot campers. I see you. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. Um, we are three weeks into our We Will Not Be Silent sermon series, and I will be preaching on the resilience of BIPOC cultures and practices and how we must lean into them um, as a way to refuse staying silent. But before we delve into this, a word about the term BIPOC itself. It is an acronym representing Black Indigenous People of Color. It is an adjective often followed by communities, practices, cultures, folks. Um, It originated up out of the 2020 uprising and reflected the ways in which the term people of color fail to accurately speak to the reality that Black people and Indigenous people are disproportionately harmed by systemic racism in comparison to their peers of color. In that way, it can be seen as an attempt to give voice to communities that were silenced by the umbrella term people of color. And while language evolves for societal change, I think it's important to acknowledge that BIPOC is still an umbrella term um, that many find insufficient and that will likely transform again. Um, The term is expansive covering diverse communities within communities with distinct histories that don't always neatly align. And so when I was tasked with this sermon, I felt a very weighty responsibility. And I know I find it frustrating, um, forcing a shared identity, um, which at its core is really defined as not being white. But I'm grateful to be at a church that tackles the silencing of BIPOC communities head on. Similar to Adele, my first visit to Forefront was in October of 2019, Um, and it was an introduction to the church's mission and vision. The founding pastor, Jonathan Williams, was talking about decolonizing our faith, emphasizing how Christianity has often been viewed and pushed through a lens of white supremacy, and this resonated deeply with me. As a black Christian, I've grappled with images of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, with the Bible being used to justify slavery, and the perception that Christianity is the white man's religion. To me, these misrepresentations felt like a silencing of BIPOC cultures, histories, and experiences. And really, there's no shortage of ways that these communities are being silenced, not just in the church, but in institutions in this country and abroad. 
As a black person descended from enslaved people, I am outraged and horrified by how the way I even came to exist in this country is being silenced. Indigenous people are essentially erased from the history of this land, even during Native American Awareness Month. So I was overwhelmed by the thought of addressing this issue in a way that covered everyone in 25 minutes or less. <laughs> but you know what? God shows up um, in ugly, wretched places like dating apps, right? It's a struggle. And as I was scrolling through one day, I came across this guy's profile that said, I want someone who is an actual Christian. That means a woman who is not into the universe, burning sage crystals and astrology at all. Thank you very much. Thank you kindly. Swipe left, obviously. But before that, I took this screenshot because I thought to myself, damn, we've lost so much of our culture in the name of Christianity. Even in seemingly trivial places like dating apps, Cultural practices are dismissed. That is how pervasive the silencing is. Who taught us that these things were at odds with our faith? And who taught them that? Who taught us that these practices cannot be reconciled with the God of the Bible? For me, I was raised in a black church in East New York um, with roots in the Southern Baptist tradition. I was immersed in practices that connected our faith to our West African lineage and its cultures. We honored our ancestors. We burned incense to clear bad energy. We used crystals to aid in healing. It was a norm for me. And I think it wasn't until I attended a predominantly white college that I was introduced to white evangelical thinking and understood that so many of our cultural practices um, from ancestor veneration to meditation to cleansing rituals have been set aside condemned and even labeled as demonic. What then does that do to a people who are trying to live out a faith that has been disconnected from our culture? I don't have the answers. Um, but that is what I want to dig into today. And really is just the start of a conversation exploring some biblical interpretations that have led BIPOC communities to reject our own cultural practices. I hope by the end of this you'll be encouraged to explore these practices, how they could be compatible with the teachings of the Bible, the ways in which Jesus embraced them. And at the very least, and Damaris already previewed this, I want you to leave curious. Yes. To start, it is crucial to recognize that the lens through which we read scripture is not neutral. Our societal context shapes it, just as cultures of biblical times shaped scripture. I was talking to Pastor Josh while preparing for this sermon, and he framed early Christianity as um, a negotiation of diverse people groups. You had Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans and pagans. You had the enslaved and the freed. There was this ongoing give and take to figure out this new faith, and this has influenced the Christianity that we know today. From circumcision to the food we eat to the clothes we wear, even the celebration of Christmas and Easter has roots in paganism. Jesus wasn't born in December, and a bunny has nothing to do with his death and resurrection. 
But how these holidays came to be show that practices and traditions are not created in a vacuum. And oftentimes discussions of Christianity and absolutes ring false. We live in a world where systems of power, particularly white supremacy, amplified through evangelism, have distorted our understandings of faith leading to the exclusion and condemnation of BIPOC cultural traditions. And when our communities are forced to adapt to predominantly white interpretations of Christianity, there can be a disconnect between our faith and our culture, causing a profound loss as we turn away from practices that have been part of our identities for generations and millennia. As we move forward, Let us reclaim our core cultural practices as a way of not staying silent and of decolonizing our faith. We will discuss ancestor veneration, meditation, and cleansing and healing rituals, not as an exhaustive list of practices, but because they are evident across all BIPOC cultures. And if during the meet and greet time you came up with other practices, hold on to them, and bring them to Kinship Cafe after, because I want to hear about them, and I know folks are curious. So ancestor veneration is a practice in which individuals honor and remember ancestors through rituals, offerings, and prayer. This is found in many Chinese, African, Japanese, and Native American cultures, and can provide a profound sense of connection and continuity. In some traditions, it's akin to praying for intercession with God through with the ancestors. Last week, I was in El Salvador, and in a restaurant, there was an altar um, for Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. I think it's up here, yes. Um, In which, it's an ancient festival dating back over 3,000 years and celebrated in Mexico and throughout Central America. And it is also contentious and oftentimes condemned as idolatry. But once again, we see faith practices as a negotiation between different groups. According to the History Channel, (laughs) once the Spanish conquered Aztec Empire in the 16th century, the Catholic Church moved indigenous celebrations and rituals honoring the dead throughout the year to the Catholic dates commemorating All Saints Day and All Souls Day on November 1st and 2nd. And what has become known as Dia de los Muertos on November 2nd, the Latin American indigenous traditions and symbols to honor the dead fused with non-official Catholic practices and notions of an afterlife. And throughout the Bible, we see so much reverence for ancestors. Even Jesus himself recognized the importance of honoring those who came before us. In Matthew, he refers to the prophets who were persecuted and killed for their faith acknowledging their place in history. And genealogies pop up in key places throughout the Bible. In Genesis, we get a detailed accounting of Adam's bloodline. And this is important because the Hebrews pass on their beliefs through oral traditions. And oral traditions can be found in almost all cultures throughout humanity. Stories were told to children who in turn pass them on to their children. And in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we get the genealogy of Christ. And Jesus' claim to divinity is due in large part to who he was related to. And we hear him call on the words of his ancestors, lean on their teachings, and honor their legacies. Much like Jesus, 
I think we too should call on the words of our ancestors, lean on their teachings, and honor their legacies. And like Jesus, we should meditate. Meditation is a practice of quiet reflection, mindfulness, and spiritual connection. And it's found in various forms across different cultures. It is a way to seek God's presence within ourselves, just as Jesus did when he withdrew to quiet places, literally all the time. In Mark, we learn very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. In Matthew, when Jesus heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And then later, after Jesus dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Meditation allows us to center our thoughts on the divine and align our hearts with God's will. The Bible is literally a call to meditate, to sit with and dwell on the word of God, the teachings of God and the characteristics of God. Prayer without ceasing is meditation. We sing, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable, Lord, unto you. And Joshua tells us, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it night and day. And so the tension comes with Eastern meditation and yoga practices that are associated with Hinduism and Buddhism. Because one of the goals is achieving unity with God and nature and with our divine selves. And there are a few critiques to this, but one in particular um, that I was drawn to was the re rejection of the Hindu and Buddhist belief that all is divine. The idea that we too are divine has been thought to be in conflict with the belief of one God. But I don't think I agree with this. Because the scripture says that we are made in the likeness of the divine. In Genesis, we are told that God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. In 2 Timothy, it says to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. And Romans 8 tells us, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And Jesus said that we are to do what he has done and more. And John, he tells us, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. So we are made in the image of the divine parent. We house the divine spirit within our bodies. And we are capable of greater works than the divine son. I think we're divine, guys. Yeah. <laughs> And so then maybe tapping in to our divine selves is necessary in drawing closer to the divine trinity. And it is a way that God has allowed us to share in that divinity. And in that way, I think God has also granted divinity to the earth as well. There is so much healing that comes from nature 
And in a lot of the ways, the harnessing of those healing and cleansing properties has been condemned as sorcery and witchcraft and inconsistent with Christianity. But even in the Bible, cleansing and healing rituals are often performed before important life events, transitions, or worship. They symbolize purification and a fresh start. In the Bible, we find practices such as purification rituals before entering the temple or making sacrifices. These rituals serve as a reminder of our need for spiritual cleansing and transformation. Despite this, and the use of incense in Catholicism and mainline Christianity, evangelicals have been staunch opponents of its use. But frankincense and myrrh show up all throughout the Bible. Frankincense was a perfume and spiritual incense burned in temples throughout the East, and myrrh was a sacred anointing oil. And together, they are regarded as sacred in early Jewish and Christian faiths. According to WebMD, Frankincense and myrrh has been prescribed in traditional Chinese medicine and have been shown to help treat inflammation, cancer, respiratory illness, arthritis, and so much more. Sage smudging and other cleansing rituals are common in various indigenous traditions. Burning sage specifically can be traced back to Native American traditions where it was used for purification purposes. Sage is believed to have medicinal properties that can help clear negative energy and promote healing. A lot of resistance to using sage comes from a fear that we would be putting our faith in the properties of an herb instead of God. But why can't we acknowledge that the God of the universe is the same God who created sage? <laughs> and imbued it with its abilities to cleanse the body and the atmosphere. And the same God who put each star in its specific place. There are examples in the Bible where divination is condemned. And others where we see visions, dreams, and prophecies being used to carry out the will of God. I don't know the extent to which we can draw meaning from constellations or what they can tell us about ourselves, what we're supposed to do, or who we're supposed to be with. But I do know that the same star that guided the wise men to Jesus with frankincense and myrrh are the same stars that guided Harriet Tubman to freedom. So I do think we can take literal direction from stars. I think in teaching us to condemn cultural practices, we are also taught to not be curious and to even condemn curiosity. But here at Forefront, we value asking good questions. So please be curious, especially about a culture that is your own. Decolonizing our faith is a complex and ongoing journey. It involves reevaluating interpretations of scripture, questioning traditions that have been imposed upon us, and restoring the practices that were once integral to our cultures. It means recognizing that God's love transcends any particular cultural lens and that our faith should reflect the rich diversity of God's creation. And as I wrap up, I wanna leave you all and myself with some homework or life work. We must embrace inclusivity. Our faith is not limited to one cultural perspective. We must actively seek to understand the experiences and practices of BIPOC communities 
and recognize the value they bring to our collective faith journey. We must learn from BIPOC voices. Listen to the experiences and perspectives of BIPOC theologians, scholars, and leaders who are working to decolonize our faith and bring the beauty of diverse traditions back into the fold. There are so many. From James Cone to Christina Cleveland to Grace G. Sun Kim to Randy Woodley to Ada Maria Isazi Diaz. And I think one of the beautiful things, and there are many about Forefront, is preaching boot camp because it is an intentional commitment to elevating the diverse voices that are in this congregation and why I'm honored to be a deacon here. Uh, we must reclaim and celebrate the practices and traditions that were once central to BIPOC communities, incorporate them into our worship, our spirituality, and our understanding of God. But we must do it in a way that is sustainable and responsible. The commercialization of ancient practices, like yoga and smudging, have distorted its sacred roots and even led to the endangerment of sage and the disruption of its surrounding ecosystem. So as we embark on this journey of curiosity, we want to be ever mindful of our intention and our impact. And finally, we must champion justice actively work to dismantle systems of oppression and white supremacy in all areas of life, including our faith community. Right? Our mandate is clear. Isaiah tells us to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. As we move forward on this journey, let us remember that God's love is not bound by the limitations of any one culture or interpretation. Our faith should be a tapestry woven from diverse threads of humanity, reflecting the beauty of God's creation. I think in decolonizing our faith, we are called to stand in solidarity with our BIPOC siblings and honor our cultural practices. In doing so, we will take a significant step towards reconciling and healing that God desires for all of us. I wanted to end the sermon with a Lenape prayer um, in reverence of the land we occupy. But in trying to find one, I learned that Lenape elders say, um, prayer should come from what is on your mind and not a prayer learned by memory, which is cool, right? Um, and something I wouldn't have known if I didn't go looking for it, which is not to say that we should abandon the prayers we've committed to memory, but as we explore more expansive ways to live out our faith, let curiosity guide our spiritual journey. So I will end the service in the Dalape tradition, but I will end this sermon right now with a Native American prayer by Sioux Chief Yellowhawk. So please join me in prayer. O oh, great spirit, whose voice I hear in the winds and whose breath gives life to all the worlds, hear me. I come before you, one of your children. I am small and weak. I need your strength and wisdom. Let me walk in the beauty, let me walk in beauty and make my eyes ever behold the red and purple sunset. Make my hands respect the things you have made, my ears sharp to hear your voice. 
Make me wise so that I may know the things you have taught my people. The lesson you have hidden in every leaf and rock. I seek strength not to be superior to my brothers, but to be able to fight my greatest enemy, myself. Make me ever ready to come to you with clean hands and straight eyes, so when life fades as the fading sunset, my spirit may come to you without shame. Amen. As we transition into a time of communion, I want to emphasize that all are welcome at the table. On either side of me, we have gluten-free wafers and alcohol-free juice um, in solidarity with folks who have dietary restrictions and who are in recovery. Um, yeah, as you come up, just reflect on those practices that you heard about or used to do as a child that you're no longer tuned into, be curious. Um, and so as you come and take of the elements, um, take them back to your seat and hold on to them and we will take communion together. Um, for folks who are joining us virtually, um, take whatever elements you have to symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.